Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I just rewatched the movie Baby Teeth for this podcast and I'm not crying. You're crying. Shut up. You're not my real parents. My name is Justin Hamilton and I'm just dabbing at my eyes while being here for you on Big Squid. Big podcast today with my recap of the brilliant Australian movie Baby Teeth and a cameo by the wonderful Eliza Scanlon. We then have Cal Wilson return with her segment My Proudful Shame, which is also a sequel to another podcast I recently appeared on. I'll tell you more about that when we get to it. Then we have author Toby B. Hemingway, who chatted with me from his home in LA about his new book, We Just Weren't Animal People. And I'm also going to include one of my favourite songs of Toby's from his album Horse Stories. Before we go any further, a few apologies for the lack of replies on social media. I've been flat out juggling a lot of jobs that all came in at once. Isn't that typical? You have nothing, 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 and then it's everything, and then eventually it'll be nothing again. But on top of that, I've also been dealing with my uveitis. Uh, You may not have heard me talk about this before. I can't really remember if I've talked about it on this podcast or maybe on other podcasts, but essentially I have this situation where... Just over the last couple of years, out of nowhere, my eye turns red and becomes crazy sensitive to light. And the specialists don't know what causes it. I've had a lot of tests and they have come to nothing. And it's just this thing that I have happen, which at this point in my life appears to happen every six months. And I'm dealing with it at the moment. So it's really difficult to look at screens for too long. So I've been working, getting on hitting it hard, getting off, and essentially that means I've been staying offline as much as I possibly can over the last week or so. 
Hopefully, it will get back on track. I'm meant to deal with it using drops, blah, blah, blah. Boring, boring, boring. But the drops can take seven or eight weeks. And the last couple of times, it's just cleared up for no reason. Another thing the doctors don't really understand. They're like, what do you mean that cleared up? And I was like, I don't know. It just kind of happened before I got to get into the doctor. So anyway... I'm just waiting to see how that will be, and uh, hopefully it will just magically disappear the way it appeared, I guess. So, just a little apology. I will get to your emails and messages. I know there's quite a lot there. I'll get to them as soon as I can. Isn't getting older just fun? Fun, 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 fun. On Better News, our live Big Squid FOMA show is this Sunday, the 13th of December at 6pm Sydney time. I was going to say Eastern Standard Time, but that doesn't really help out with Queensland, does it? We have a big show for you. There's a lot going on from Alex, Jay and Ben Elwood covering the movies that will clear the lounge on Christmas Day. Richard Feidler sharing the secret origin of Father Christmas. Alice Fraser explaining her unique family festive habits. Rove McManus delving into what makes a great Doctor Who Christmas episode. And Georgia Mooney with a special song to close the night. All this with Adele helping me host from the sanctuary of her home in Melbourne. You can watch us in person or online. Just head to giantdwarf.com.au for more details. And then I'll be finishing up my year on the 18th of December at the Rhino Room in Adelaide performing stand-up and I guess summing up the year in general. You can find tickets for that at adelaidecomedy.com. Numbers are limited, so if you're keen to come along, uh, try to get onto that soon. We only have a few more episodes of Season 3 of Big Squid to go. Uh, I'll be taking a break over Christmas and New Year, essentially to recharge the batteries and spend a bit of time with my family, who I have not seen since the COVID outbreak. And then I'll come back with season four in early January. Uh, There's things that I've been trying to get up and running with this podcast that I just haven't had time. So uh, hopefully I'll be able to introduce that in season four. I'll tell you more about that in uh, the next couple of podcasts. Okay. Let's get stuck into it by beginning with the wonderful Australian movie, Baby Teeth. I hate to ask you this. I'm trying to put some money together to get a bed in the shelter. I only got 50. 50? That's too much. I can't. Can Twitter? Uh, no, no, no. 50's okay. If I give you 50, you have to do something for me. Is this a style? I was going for rat's tails. You look like a different person. What have you done with my daughter? I killed her. <laughs> oh, my God. <clears throat> what are you doing here? What are you doing here? You make a habit of befriending girls that are significantly younger than yourself. Oh, my God. Mila's obsessed with that boy. She's a smart girl. Mila? That boy has problems. So do I. What are you looking at? Piss off. Oh, God. I lost my hair. It looks cool. It's like way better than the one that I gave you. No. <laughs> I'll do anything. Can he please stay? Mila, he threatened me with a meat prong. You threatened my wife with a meat prong? <laughs> I don't want to hurt you. So don't. Moses! Wait, Henry, Henry! Mila should have the world at her feet right now. I have no idea what you're feeling. I can't feel anything because I can't breathe because you take up all the air. This 
think something in you has changed. It was like you weren't scared of anything. I don't think the world would be this big or weird if we become obsessed with functionality. She's gonna be okay. Oh, that'll do. <laughs> this is the worst possible parenting I can imagine. On the surface, Baby Teeth is a beautiful and delicate tale about a dying teenage girl falling in love for the first time. As you watch the movie, you begin to understand and know these wonderfully realised characters, and you realise it is more than that. It's a movie about people dealing with the grief that lays just beyond the horizon. Sometimes they deal with their emotions with humour, sometimes with anger, they strive to be their best, but sometimes succumb to their worst impulses. You will recognise the characters in this movie because they are the people who surround us in everyday life. They all speak with a unique rhythm that you will find traces of in your best friends. It is funny in moments of conflict, heartbreaking in expressions of joy, and I think it is more than worthy of all the awards and accolades it has received. This is director Shannon Murphy's directorial debut, and what a debut it is. Her storytelling is raw, yet also finds a poetry on the screen, whether it is following young Miller through a party that explodes with light and colours, or whether it is the simplicity of a family spending time at the beach. Rita Kalnaeus, I hope I've uh, pronounced her name correctly, her screenplay is adapted from her stage play, and she captures the emotions that every house in suburban Australia grapples with in everyday life. Whether it is sitting quietly inside or hearing a woman calling for a dog or the songs of the birds and the trees, this is quintessentially Australian in the presentation with a story that will resonate all over the world. If you're listening to this overseas and you haven't been to Australia, this will give you a keen eye into an aspect of our suburban life. If you've been here before, you will instantly recognise this place from your past. And if you're an expat, I can imagine it will make you homesick for your original home. The cinematography by Andrew Thomas is breathtaking and the music by Amanda Brown subtly elevates the emotions you'll be contending with throughout the movie. All the performances are extraordinary. The characters that they play require them to act out, make terrible mistakes, be understanding and not understanding, be scared but also warm and loving. Essie Davis as the mum, Anna, is so wonderful. I felt nothing but empathy for her, even when she wasn't dealing with the situation properly. Ben Mendelsohn as the dad, Henry, continues to prove why he is one of the most wonderful actors we've ever produced and is still at the top of his game. Watching him act opposite Toby Wallace, who plays the scarred and dangerous Moses, is an amazing treat. Not just because they're both wonderful actors, but also... You can imagine if this film was made decades ago, you could see Ben in the role of Moses. This clever bit of casting pays off in ways that you will least expect. Toby Wallace as Moses is heartbreaking and scary. And I mean scary, not that he scares you that something bad is going to happen to you, but you're also kind of scared for him. You're scared for where he comes from. You're scared about how he views himself and the way he... Uh, reacts to the world because of that. I've known kids like that when I was growing up and I see them now out there in the world. It is a fascinating performance that never falters and you can't help but love Moses, even for all his obvious faults. And what can you say about Eliza Scanlon as Miller? Oh my God, she is so good. And as the lead of this movie, she just 
has such wonderful charisma. Like I'm, I'm overwhelmed with how good she is. I first saw her in Sharp Objects and thought she was brilliant opposite Amy Adams and Patricia Clarkson. Like you're watching that series going, how is this young girl just holding her own with these powerhouse actors? But she is someone that you have to keep an eye on. She is so good in this. She's funny, angry, scared. She's inspiring. And in Miller, there's this beautiful grace to her performance and awe that she exhibits for the world around her, even as her body betrays her. This is a movie that also avoids all the cliches and in the end suggests if you project love to those around you, you can transform the world in inspirational ways, no matter how short your time is. I was lucky enough to catch up with Eliza Scanlon for a very quick chat at the Actor Awards. We're backstage. There's a little bit of noise in the background, but it's worthwhile hearing what she has to say, especially as she's talking about this very movie. So congratulations on your win. Uh, I'm curious, when did you come in on the project? Because it's such a beautiful, nuanced piece of work. And I'm curious to know uh, where you came in to get a part of it. Um, I read the film in uh, the script in uh, twenty eighteen, early twenty eighteen, and met with Shannon to talk about um, the role. But I still went through a, a casting process and um, auditioned. Uh, I, I think a few times, and then um, I did Little Women. And um, just as I was about to finish Little Women, I found out I I had the role. But it was a pretty long casting process it took about a year for them to to land on um toby and i right yeah and where, where's your head at like do you get to a point where you have to forget about it for a little while but you're kind of hoping it's still going to pop up or... oh for sure you mean getting this yeah. role oh i wanted this role so badly yeah and um i really threw myself at the audition but there was a long time where i hadn't heard anything about it so i just assumed that they'd moved on to other actors and it was a strange it was a strange coincidence because um the night that i i was filming little women and i was thinking about baby teeth and whether there had been any updates and so just out of curiosity i i um, emailed my agent and she (laughs) rang me up about two minutes later saying you won't believe this, but Kirsten McGregor, the casting director, literally just called me to oh. offer the part. Um, so it's a weird, one of those weird moments where um, you really feel that the stars are aligned and it yeah. was meant to be. That's exciting. And yeah. you've worked with so many great actors, like from Sharp Objects to Little Women to yeah. this. It's like, do you have anyone on your on your list now that you're looking at thinking, right now I've got to work with them? Oh, I mean, I... I wish I had the confidence to pursue people. Right. <laughs> I know actors, some actors do that, but I'm, I'm too scared to do that. But someone I'd love to work with, um, probably, I think this is every actor's dream, to work with Yorgos Lanthimos. Oh, yeah. Um, he's incredible, and I've been a big fan of him for a long time. Oh, it'd be so wonderful to be in something like The Lobster or something oh, yeah. like that as well. And uh, just one last question. Uh, what's, uh, can you talk about anything that's coming up next? Unfortunately not, but I'm, I'm hoping that I nothing's kind of set in stone, but I'm hoping I'm doing some work in Australia, which will be really exciting. Well, uh, congratulations on everything that you've done so far, Thank and you. we're really excited to see what comes in the next few years. So, uh, congratulations. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. What a really lovely young actor, and I was rapt to have the opportunity to talk to her about this film. I can't recommend Baby Teeth enough, so please seek it out wherever you can, as you will be rewarded with one of my favourite movies of the year. (laughs) 
Before we bring in Cal Wilson, just some inside information on this catch-up. For anyone who heard a recent episode of Will Anderson's Fofop, I had a really honest, raw and reflective chat about 2020 and where I was at uh, at that particular time. Uh, it was only a couple of weeks ago, so it's right at the end of the year. And if you're keen to hear it, check out the Not Manu episode of Fofop, which you can find at tofop.com. So just a little bit of background information. This chat with Cal was recorded that same day. And after we discussed one of our guest suggestions that wrote in on our Facebook page, I really launch into some stuff that's been going on here. In particular, I get really angry about my dealings with my real estate agent and the ongoing saga they put me through. When I talk about the noise of the lift being replaced here, just so you know where I'm coming from, here is... A couple of seconds, and I'm not going to play too much of it for you, but just a couple of seconds of the noise in my apartment for roughly 10 weeks. Yep, that's not annoying at all. That had been going from 7am to 4pm, Monday to Friday, and somehow some weekends as well. And it necessitated me working at night on the podcast and not getting much sleep. So, As you know, I try to make this a really positive place. I try to make it a really fun experience. And you're going to hear me pretty angry. So I thought a little bit of backstory for what I share with Cal might be informative. And if you had listened to that Fofop episode, you'll go, oh, wow, he was having a day. But it's still a great chat with Cal, as always. So let's get to that now. So I haven't spoken to you since you came out of the the full-on lockdown in Melbourne. And it was the second one, which was, I think people kind of forget, first lockdown was full-on, but second lockdown was much more difficult to kind of get your head around, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, because it, because you don't have that innocent hope that you have in lockdown one, that, oh, this is a one-off, we'll just do this and then we'll get back to the world. Whereas lockdown two was like, oh, we could... We could keep doing this. Like we could be in and out for who knows how long. And the the big the biggest mindfuck with for me was just not knowing. You, you can't look ahead. Like so, you can't. Um, if you go, oh, oh, I wonder what it's going to be like in four weeks. Of no use to you. That's of no use to you because who knows what's going to happen in four weeks? Whether the case is going to go up or down or whatever. You just have to. For me, I just had to look ahead a week and go. I wonder how we'll be going next week. And then by the time you're at three weeks then you can look at what four weeks might look like. But it's just, yeah, it was such a weird limbo time. And, you know, people have been making little web series and writing books and doing that kind of stuff. And all I did was watch reality television and bake. That was all I could handle. I stopped reading books. I read one book over lockdown, which was brilliant. It's Ellen Davies' um, memoir. Absolutely brilliant. But apart from that, I was just like, oh, I just... I don't, I don't have the stamina. I just not have the mental energy to finish a book or get invested in anything. Couldn't watch any great TV shows. Just had to watch Pudding. Like, just had to watch something that was mindless and filling. We watched all the episodes of Love It or List at Vancouver that exist, which is a, <laughs> what a brilliant thing. So now I, can, um, now I can value houses in Vancouver 10 years ago, which is a great skill to come out of lockdown with. That and, could come in uh, handy. Well, look, if I ever get to Vancouver. Um, yeah. But the thing is, 
on Lock, Love It, this is, I'm obsessed with this, I can't even remember if I said this to you before, but on Love It All List at Vancouver, they go and look at these houses and every single house has the taps on the wrong side of the bath. So, you know, you know when you have a bath and you've usually got the taps down one end or you've got them against the wall, every single fucking bath, you'd have to clamber past the taps to get in the bath. Why would you have them on the outside? Oh, that sounds awful because you just know at least three times a year you're going to have that excruciating pain of hitting a knee or hitting a shin or, yeah, or heaven forbid your thigh. Right. Slipping backwards and suddenly discovering your eyesight's yeah. improved. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, Lord. Was, I became obsessed with that and the fact they call it a soaker tub and not a bath. But I was absolutely obsessed with how is this whole city being built with the idea like why would it even occur to you to have the taps on the outside of the bath like what possible what possible advantage is there to have a lovely bath that you've got to clamber past every time you're trying to bath a baby like just put the fucking taps on the wall (laughs) that's how lockdown has been (laughs) if there's anyone out there who can explain to us why that is a thing. I would actually be really appreciative of that. I understand about the reading. I was reading pretty well. I'd go three stages. So I would be listening to a lot of music and then I couldn't listen to music and then I'd be reading books and then I couldn't read books and then I was watching TV shows. And so it was like I was always kind of changing what I was into. But I also wonder if through this whole process I have become... 100% more me, which also means I'm, I I kind of, because I turned 48 and I now have this two-year plan in my head that I just need to hit a certain point. I've got some goals in mind that I want to get to and I want to drop stuff. And I, there's stuff that I just don't want to be a part of anymore. There's stuff that I don't have any interest in anymore. And the realization, which we all know on a very intellectual level, but on an emotional level that time is short and things could change drastically at any given moment. Yeah. And I, th- I think I'm really quite intolerant of stuff that I was at one point would just let it kind of wash over me. Yep. Yep. It kind of leads into your segment. I have something to share <laughs> with you. Great. Great. So, uh, so, uh, always on Twitter, you refer to it as my prideful shame. Oh, (laughs) when I was thinking my proudest shame, but I don't know whether, you know, I don't know whether that's the right title. So funny. Yeah, I have it written down. I don't know (laughs) my, I just don't know. It's, it's some kind of dyslexia that I have with this title or I don't know what it is. It is. I think because I got it wrong and then we joked about it. Yeah, yeah. And now it's gone and is the wrong thing. It's like years ago, like in the 90s, people started saying cheers after stuff. Cheers. And yeah. it annoyed me. And I started saying it in a derogatory way because I was making fun of those people. And now, if you get me something, I'll say cheers. Become a part of my vernacular. I will get this right. I've got it written down. I've got it down as a document piece. I just, who knows? I, I have to just make a better effort. I'm sorry about that. No, no, it's fine. I can't remember what I said this last time we talked about it, but um, there was a guy that I worked or that I knew at student radio at university and his name was either Paul or Chris, but I just couldn't 
packet. I couldn't remember. And so I'd ask someone else and they'd be like, it's Paul. And then the next time I saw him, I was like, well, I, I remember Paul, but am I, am I remembering Paul? Because that's the name I shouldn't be calling him. So poor Chris just could never work it out. Yeah, I've had that with some names as well. And I'm sure people have had it with me. And it's you have to be, that's one of the things you shouldn't get angry about, I don't think. Yeah. Because it's, it's just a brain fart. Yeah, totally, but, totally. But I, I find if you're, if you're more extravagant with your apology for it, it seems to make it easier. So rather than going, I can't remember your name, you're like, oh my God, my, your name for some reason has just fallen out of my head. Like if I kind of somehow make it seem like a, oh, it's just an instantaneous, I was looking at your back and I knew who you were, and are you looking at me? No idea. I just, yeah, trying to cover it up is worse. And just admitting to it that, hey, I'm sorry. Like, I'm just getting to a point in my life. Like, this might be the start of Alzheimer's. I don't know. This might be <laughs> the first hint of Parkinson's or whatever. Something bad. Maybe maybe something bad's happening to me. And we can look back on this moment and you can say, oh, remember when you didn't remember my name? That's when all this bad stuff started. And yeah. we can laugh about it while I'm on a heart yeah. bum machine. Um, I Felicity Ward and I communicate through um, voice message. So rather than texting or having an extra conversation because she's on the other side of the world, we leave these voice messages for each other. And it's really lovely just to get this little, you know, package of interesting information and what she's been up to and everything. And today I was listening to one and she told me uh, that she's been guesting on a radio show with Sue Perkins. And in the time it took her to finish talking and for me to do the voice memo, I'd forgotten the name of the show. Like, it's just gone. Just like seconds after she said it and then I was like congratulations on the whatever that thing was like just oh, it's all just it's like someone is in my brain just jettisoning facts that thinks I don't need like someone's like oh yeah we don't need that box and then it's like all oh, right but that box had all of the memories in it yeah like and like they might not have been the main memories but they were still handy why have we thrown yes. them out this is yeah. this is why you don't throw the cords out the chords that don't yeah. make any sense to you because one day that chord will be the specific chord that attaches one electric yep. thing to something else. So my proudest shame. That sounds like a good segment. Uh, yeah, maybe we should <laughs> stick with that. We should do it. <laughs> so this is a segment for anyone who is new to the podcast. We've got some new listeners. Well, it's your segment. Do you want to explain it? Oh, yeah. So, um, uh, so I want to hear stories from people of – they are either their proudest moment or the moment that keeps them awake at night. That just, you know, the, the most shameful thing that they have done. We had a fantastic guy who, Tim, Tim, I think it was, who um, just joined a band and got rid of the other drummer without even realising that's what had happened. Just through um, social oblivion, maybe? Just totally didn't realise what was happening. Just kicked, kicked someone out of a band. Didn't realise for ages. Yes, and he was so nice about it. It was so funny. We we have uh, we have an email from uh, Linda Moulton who, off the top of my head, she watched our live show, and I think she's in Florida. Uh, let me know if oh, that's wow. correct, Linda. But uh, before we do, I've got something tasty for you because – so this kind of ties into – it's been a year. Everyone's having a it's year. I'm not pretending mine's any – better or worse than anyone, but I've just become, in the last couple of weeks, just a little bit, like, just a little bit shitty. And I'm a little bit shitty because people aren't doing the things that they say they're going to do. Just right. simple things. Like, you call, like, I needed some clarification on something. It was a simple email. All I needed back was blah, blah, blah. And then you don't hear for 
four days. So then you send another one and then you get a very nice reply, but the person says, oh, sorry, I'm snowed under today. And you go, yeah, no, I get that. But this is from four days ago. Mm. So that's not actually my fault. And I've had things like, but I've had heaps of them, like heaps of them. And it's just gotten to a point. I was meant to have a meeting with someone. They didn't turn up. I texted them. I said, hey, where are you? And they replied, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I completely forgot. And you know what's funny? I don't even have anything else in my diary, which made it worse. Because at least if they had said they were really busy and they'd forgot, like, lie to me. I don't even care if you were busy, but just lie to me. Don't say, I don't even have anything else in my diary. That's worse because I have taken the time out to go to this thing for a meeting that you asked me to do. So I've had a lot of those things. Yeah, but you've also had one of those from me where we emailed about doing this and I just completely forgot to respond to you until the day after you'd planned for us to do it. <laughs> it's like, ah! No, but that's this is different because, well, your email was full of apologies, over-the-top apologies, <laughs> actually. You were talking about how you thought this was the first sign of Alzheimer's and everything, and I was like, oh, <laughs> I felt really bad. <laughs> no, but but it's it's not about not making mistakes. It's about just having a little bit of, hey, shit, I'm sorry about that. Yeah. And that's fine. Like, you're immediately fine with that. That's like, of course, we all make mistakes. No one's – when you you get frustrated about things, it's not saying that you haven't made mistakes. It's the way you follow it up. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So when – so when the – quarantine stuff hit like I lost all of my work in one day like in one phone call I lost all of my work which was fine yes and I just I just dealt with it I didn't ask for any money off my rent didn't ask for it Uh, I went and I got onto JobKeeper and even though JobKeeper did not cover all of my bills it covered the main ones which was my rent Mm -hmm. and bills and I through my own uh, savings, I will keep everything else going and I'll just be tight and I'll just be smart about it. And then a few months ago, we get an email saying, hey, they're going to replace the faulty lift in your apartment, which has been faulty for a long time, but you're doing it when everyone's locked in. Oh, and so it's oh. so loud and the lift is right next to my bedroom and work starts at 7am and finishes uh. at 3pm. So guess what I've been trying to do during the pandemic? I've been trying to make podcasts, working with audio. <sighs> and so uh. this stressed me out. So I got in touch with my real estate agent and said, hey, you know what I could do? I could do with some money off my rent because A, we're not going to have a lift and I'm pretty certain part of my rent should cover the lift. But mm-hmm. also the fact is I'm going to have to leave my apartment because it's so loud. And guess what? There's nowhere to go. The libraries are closed. All the free places are closed. And you can go to a cafe, but I'm I'm not going to sit in someone's cafe where they have limited number of people that they yeah, can have yeah. and not spend money. So how about you throw some money off the rent so I can afford to be out? So anyway, make a long story short, this went back and forward for weeks and they wanted me to prove that I really had lost all of my work and I, they made me jump through hoops and eventually they gave me a little bit of money off, uh-huh. which wasn't a lot and it wasn't what I asked for, but they gave me a little bit of money off and I thought, well, fuck it, I'm, I, 
a believer in paying your bills and paying your way. So at yep. least that will mean I'll go and I can pay the cafe and everyone's tickety-boo. And, you know, the real estate agent said, yeah, like, a, like you've got to take into account the owner has had one of their jobs halved, so their income isn't the same. And I'm like, yeah, no, that's really stressful, and I don't doubt that's stressful, but I literally have no work because my yep. industry has ceased to exist. And I have not done corporate stuff, and I haven't been given yep. stuff my way because the acts that have higher profiles than me are taking the corporate work that I would normally get because they don't have yeah. any work. And I'm not complaining about this. That is the way shit goes. But don't say to me, I've got to understand. Because I do understand. Yeah, but yeah, you should yeah, understand yeah. my side as well. So I get the money off and I said to them, let's put this down so we get this all right because I don't want there to be any confusion further down yeah. the track. And then... A month into it, I get an email saying that I'd missed one of my rentals and I was mortified. I was so mortified because I just couldn't believe that I had done that and after all of this shit, then I missed one. all of it, yep. Yeah, and I felt like a dick. I felt like a real dick. And so I paid it immediately and I was so embarrassed and I sent an email saying, I'm so embarrassed by this after everything. Many apologies, it won't happen again. And then a month later, I get another one saying that I've missed rent. And I'm like, hang on a sec, how have I missed rent? So I go and look, and what they did was they were charging me the money that they had taken off. So I write back to them going, hey, this is the money that we agreed on. And one of the reasons that I agreed, like they wanted me to, my lease had run out. So they wanted me to sign a new lease. And part of the deal was just take a bit of money off here and I'll sign a new lease for a year. That's no problem. The problem is also is how can I move? There's no fucking lift and there's a pandemic on. So, you know, (laughs) you do kind of have me painted in a corner at this point. So I write to them and say, hey, this is happening and I've just done the math and this is what you're doing. And they write back to me, oh, hang on, we'll get back to you. And they don't. They don't get back to me. So I just pay the rent that I'm meant to pay and then... Two weeks later, I get another one saying, you haven't paid this. And I write to them say, hey, you never got back to me. You never got back to me. And I'm telling you, I've done the math and this is what's going on. I I promise you we'll get straight onto this. And then they don't. And then a week later, they've upped how much money I owe. And so I called on a Wednesday and I said, hey... I got to be honest, you're making me feel like a fucking asshole. I pay my way everywhere I go. We had this agreement. This is the math. Either I'm an idiot and my, my I'd run it past my accountant and I said maybe they're an idiot as well or maybe you've given us the wrong information. Like maybe there's something wrong here. What and this is why we're getting this discrepancy and it's causing me stress and I'm trying to keep family members engaged in lockdown still in Adelaide. Like I know there isn't lockdown, but they're in their 60s and 70s and 80s. So they're a bit scared to go out. I've got, I'm trying to get my work back on track. I'm trying to feel normal myself. I'm trying to work out what's going to come next. I'm not really getting any support from anyone. And I don't, I just don't need you sending me these emails that tell me that I'm not paying my way because that's not who I am. 
So many apologies. So many apologies. And she said, I will call you back tonight or I promise you if it takes a while for the accounts to get back to me, I will call you first thing Thursday morning. So it's Friday morning and I haven't heard and I snapped and I wrote a five paragraph email and I will not bore everyone going through everything in it. But this is where the pride and the shame comes in because there's a part of me that is like, in the past, I've been a bit soft. I kind of let people... get away with shit, sometimes towards me. Sometimes, you know, I've been thinking about this with, uh, you know, like situations where you don't speak up for someone else. Yep. Because you just kind of go, well, maybe it's better to just let this moment pass and then deal with it later. And I think it has led to, over the years, I've been shit on quite a bit by, you know, sometimes by people that I really like. Mm Mm-hmm. And I tried to take a little bit of responsibility for it by not speaking up for myself. So I felt great pride in just putting it out there and yep. just letting them know in no uncertain terms where I am at with this. Now, the bit that I maybe feel a bit of shame over, and this is where we could probably need some help, and the only reason I feel a bit of shame over this is because when I told Ben Elwood we were recording our Dunkirk podcast and he was laughing so hard at this last bit. And he Uh was like, dude, that is full on. (laughs) So what I finished with was. Hang on. So, so the, so the first four paragraphs are not, not just um, catching up on what this is what I've been doing in my holidays. Like, so, so you've set out everything again, the issues. So first part of the email is reasonable, firm and reasonable. Well, maybe not. Like, it's pretty firm. And it's like, (laughs) I was questioning, you know, I did say either you're incompetent or you're a liar because you have promised to call me over and over again and you haven't. (laughs) You haven't. And you're making me feel awful for getting into this situation. And I never asked for help. Like, I never asked for help. And all I did was ask for help so I could avoid this noise, which, by the way, has taken longer than they said it would because it always takes longer than they say it will. And blah, 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 blah. Anyway, I told her, I need you to sort this out because I am not coping with this. And I finished off with, and by the way, on Christmas Day, when you're spending it with your loved ones and your family, I hope you think of my 67-year-old mother who is going to be alone because you have messed my budget to such an extent I can't afford to fly back to Adelaide to see her. Do not underestimate how I feel at this exact moment. Wow. Then I press send. By the way, I know this podcast, I, I've worked really hard on this podcast throughout this year to be really positive, to be really uplifting, yep, yep, to yep, be yep. one of those things where we have a joy about the things that we're getting into. I have really great guests who are fantastic. We've celebrated Christopher Nolan like you wouldn't believe. You've been fantastic. Rachel's been fantastic. The live show was a massive success for me. So I know this will stand out as a moment of unadulterated anger. But I sent that and didn't hear anything for a couple of hours and then just got an email back that ignored that I'd sent that email. and And they said... They're still charging me an extra $200 
which I don't think I owe. But what I think they did was my rent day was that Friday and they said your rent's the next Friday and I reckon what they've done is when we were working out the new lease, they changed the week, which is exactly what I said at the start. Hey, let's be on top of this so we don't have any mistakes in the future, which is exactly what happened. And I had these moments when I see things that could potentially occur and I Mm -hmm. say to people, hey, let's try to avoid this, whether it's rental or work that we've done in the past, whatever. And people treat you as if you are a fucking idiot or you're some kind of negative Nelly or you're some person who's overreacting. And then when the shit goes down, these people... You could just make it all fine if you just said, "Yeah, hey, you you brought this up. I'm sorry," because then immediately yeah. all the tension leaves my shoulders, it leaves my back, yeah, it all just floats heard. away. Because you say, "Thank you, I appreciate that." Yeah, yeah. To be acknowledged, it's like a, it makes me think of um, Cassandra, you know, the prophet, the Greek prophet, prophetess, who was doomed to for people never to believe her prophecies until after they'd come true so so it's that like you going this is going to fuck up if we don't deal with it and then when it fucks up and they're like ah somehow fucked up i don't know how that happened like yeah how so so you still in ongoing uh email chats about the extra two hundred dollars or what are you going to do about it i'll pay it i'll pay the 200 it it essentially means they didn't take any money off and that's fine because i don't want them to have any satisfaction that they helped me in any way because you know what I just don't need it I don't need it I don't want any help from anyone but it has kind of made me like it's put me in a mood and it's been a mood that I've to be honest when I sent the email the first couple of days was exhilarating yeah yeah I was a bit like (laughs) woohoo and then it was like then I just felt exhausted because you don't you don't want to be that person. No, it's t- it's so t- it's so tiring. But at the same time, you have to choose to stick up for yourself. Like, yeah, but how? Oh my god! Uh, ben couldn't stop laughing over the last line. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Is it? Do not underestimate how I feel at this precise moment. Might have been like even a little bit more intense than I expected it. But I just I just felt like. I just felt like, yes. You've been gaslit the whole time. Yeah. Like, you know, they've put you under conditions of like um, like torture, like the, the noise of the, you know, you're having sleep deprivation because you're having to wake up at 7 a.m. You Noise, workmen, kanga hammers, whatever, all just horrible stuff that breaks you down. And then to make you fight for something that you end up not getting. Yes. Let's go to their offices right now. so is the lift thing finished or is it still on Uh, it's getting close it's getting close but it has just been so long and yeah like thank goodness i'm only on the third floor but it's you know three floors of stairs (laughs) just to go and get a coffee and uh and also the thing is is that i had to do a lot of work at night because there's too much noise during the day yeah and then you don't sleep properly and then it starts and i have to say guys have been really nice you know they just get on with the job it's not their fault (laughs) but it's like are you really replacing this faulty lift that has been 
it just kind of bounces. Like when you've been in this, yes, I've been in the lift. Yeah, yeah. You know how you get in and it bounces. Yeah, it's like one of those um, outdoorsy guide types that pretends to drive you off a mountain road and then doesn't. Like you know, it's like, whoop, gave you a fright. Everything's fine. But the, yeah. yeah, the lift is a little bit of a don't get too relaxed. You've had years. Why are you doing it during a yeah a lockdown? Oh, oh. Shall I read you Linda's story? I think it's yeah. nicer. Well, did, did, did I go too far? Did, was that was that too far, Cal? I need uh, some well, validation. I, I'll take it from I you if you think it was too much. I don't think it was too much. I don't think right. it was too much because the fact you were around so much. <laughs> well, maybe you should <laughs> maybe you should get her to write a second letter, like from her perspective of like loan and like do um like on proper writing paper not an email but get her to write it and then do like um little tear splashes on the paper you know how when you write something and you're crying and it kind of makes the paper crinkle uh, a little bit yeah like you could do, i mean if you want to workshop a very sad um email to the landlords i'm sure we can do it that'd be fine i'll get mum to go and borrow some powder so it just smells you know a little oh, bit older and oh. a little bit sadder yeah meanwhile you know, mum watched my link for the Mr. Bungle thrash concert and loved it. So, you know, I don't want anyone to think mum's not robust. But, uh, yeah, I just, oh, you know, yeah, it's just, I just had this moment where I just wanted them to feel something, even feel if it was it, just yeah. for a second. Totally. Totally. Oh, man. And I can just feel the exhilaration you must have felt by sending it. I've just been like, it's done. Yes. Done it. No taking it back. I, I think I called someone, I forget who it was, I think I called someone to read it to them, to get them to tell me whether I should send it or not, and then immediately hung up, because I was like, don't let anyone talk you out of this. <laughs> <laughs> Last thing I need is someone to bring any clarity to this yep. moment of fury. Yep, just have the feelings, do the thing. Wow. Well, it's probably good that I shared a, a moment of anger on this podcast because I'd hate for people to think that I was, like, not really connected to what is happening in the world. Oh, yeah, yeah no, he's, yeah. He's, he's got some different sides to him. Because sometimes people yeah. say to you, oh, I couldn't imagine you angry. And it's like, really? Like, I'm not. But I try to not be. Yeah, I've had that as well. Oh, I can't imagine you getting angry about something. Yeah, you know, I'm human. Yeah, I'm not very good at getting angry at people, but I'm very good at getting angry at things. Like, oh, yeah. You know, I stamped a laundry basket to death. Like, <laughs> oh, so good. Everyone knows how I feel about printers. <laughs> um, my my latest bugbear at the moment is it because Chris is a gadget guy, loves a gadget, and so he's got these. He's ordered these smart light switches. I don't want a fucking smart light switch. I want a light switch that operates like a light switch. Like, <laughs> the, the, there's hardly any convenience in any inconvenience in a light switch. It's literally tap. Got like we don't need, but now we've got these these smart light switches which are a smooth panel and you've got to swipe in exactly the right position. But because one of them's in our bedroom, I haven't let them turn the light the back lights on because I hate light at night. Like I just can't stand it. And even even like the um, like the router light or anything's like just stop the fucking light. And so he's put the light switch in. It's got no backlight on it. And so I can't find the bit that I'm supposed to tap when I just want to turn the light on. I don't care that I can go. Oh, hey Google, turn on the light. I don't fucking. I don't want to do it with speech. I just want to use my finger and do the light switch. I don't need the smart things. Just, just like the night before, 
Um, <laughs> um, I, I was trying to get hooked up uh, using Digby's iPad because I've just given him my old iPad. But he's now got um, fingerprint, like he's got touch yes. verification. So I was trying to download GarageBand so that I could record, and I don't have his fingerprints because he's at school. Like, just <sighs> I'm so technology is driving me. I just want an off button. Like, I, I um, temporarily bought a new computer, uh, a laptop. <laughs> Before taking it back, uh, but there's no there's no physical button where you can just turn it the fucking thing off. So I was taking it back to return it, and I'd wiped everything, and then it wanted me to install everything again. I was like, no, I don't want to install everything because I'm taking you back. I just want to turn it off. And so I turn it off, and then I've got it in the box, and from the box it's going, you can use voice activated commands to complete. It's like don't fucking talk to me. You're supposed to be dead. Like just so, like just. Don't take away the buttons. Don't take away the switches. Don't take away the knobs. That computer still talking to you is creepy. Like, that is, that's some Westworld shit right there. That's how it starts. Like, your computer just can't turn off that you're trying to replace. By the way, can you share with everyone you left out a bit of information with that computer story that you literally just bought a new one? Literally bought a new one. And then, then Apple, like, five days later went, oh, we're just making them better. That's an old one now. That's really old. Like, that's got old technology in it. We've got a new... Oh, yeah. Fortunately, the person at Apple was great and didn't... Like, I didn't feel judged or shamed. But I was like, fuck, it's taken me so long to get the courage up to buy a laptop so I could do stuff on it. And then I've bought it too soon. Just... It's so funny. Your computer became obsolete while you still had the foam parts in the box. Yeah. Yeah, I still had all of the the weird baking paper that they wrap it in. And then trying to get the cord back in the little hole in the box where the cord's supposed to go. It's like, for fuck's sake. Like, just. just. And I'm sure people are just going through all sorts of things like this year and the things that you get frazzled over. Oh, my God. We've got got this oven, right? Our oven is shit. (laughs) It's been shit for a long time. It was new when we bought the house 12 years ago. I, there were never any instructions for the oven. Never. There's a lot of buttons on the oven. Uh, and sometimes if you accidentally press the wrong button, because I've, I've worked out where the timer is and I know how to change the clock, but then there's there's like other options that flash auto, auto, auto at you. And I like, I don't know what that is. Um, somehow I managed to press the combination of buttons that the oven is just on and then it turns itself off. It just turns itself off after 20 minutes. And then then I'm like, but I don't know how to turn, I don't know how to turn it back on. Like, because it won't, the heating bit just is like, no, but you wanted me to turn off, so I'm, I'm off. I'm not going to go. So I had, like, had to go out to the bloody mains and flick the switch on and off and then go, was that, well, is that re- reset the oven? Does the oven work? And so the oven's like, nah, it still don't work. And then like another 40 minutes goes by and it's like, oh, I'm on. Did you want to? It's like, just fucking do what I want you to do. Don't, don't, I don't want the options. I just want to be able to turn it on when I want to turn it on. I don't have to, it's not like a fucking a puzzle that I have to solve. Like, it's. I just want... If I want a puzzle, I'll get a fucking Rubik's Cube. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to cook. I just want to cook this beautiful Rubik's Cube and I cannot do it. <laughs> oh, man. Like, I've got to be honest, this podcast is feeling really cathartic at the moment. It's, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Two people the same age being cross about technology. <laughs> Maybe we should. <laughs> I, just as we get this, I get the segment name right, we should be changing this to two old farts not understanding yeah. <laughs> shit, you know? 
<laughs> well, let's let's have a look at Linda's All right. story, which is I, I think is I don't think she should feel any shame over this story, but right. I can understand where she's coming from. So. Linda is the type of person who likes going to the cinema to see the movies that she likes heaps of times. So Pacific Rim, 14 times. Uh, The Animated Mulan, eight times. Parent Trap, 10 times. Love Actually, six times. And she said, I just love revisiting movies and books a second or third or infinity time. Mm -hmm. Uh, And she said she feels shame over this. And what I like about that is, Linda, you listen to this podcast I saw Interstellar 11 times at the cinema. I've seen Tenet 6. Like, I'm responsible <laughs> for half of Tenet's box office in the world. Like, I've seen yeah. Tenet more than America. Like, a whole country. <laughs> so, I don't, I don't think she should feel any shame about that. I understand the cinema thing. I don't know if you're like this because, to me, like, if I owned a cinema, I'd watch them more at home. But, like, I like being yeah, yeah. on the big screen and, and hearing the... Yes. Yes. Um. Wow. So what Linda has essentially written is a description of your ideal woman. <laughs> yes. Linda, if you would like to uh, get married <laughs> and uh, <laughs> come here, like we're, we're, we're doing much better with uh, yeah. a lot and, of things. And you have, a wonderf- you have a wonderful new lift. So, you know, it'll uh, be... The lift will be ready. <laughs> <laughs> the bridal lift. Um... But, the, the bridal lift. But she, uh, she was saying that she was a very avid reader in middle school and high school and would often follow in her older sister's footsteps and read the same required books from when she was in that year. So because she read a lot of the books when she got to that level, she got suspended from school for several days because she had already read them. And as she says, why would a 12-year-old be suspended for having read a book they were going to read in their English class anyway? Isn't that weird? It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense at all. Unless she was like, I, I read the books again while I set the toilets on fire. Like, unless there's an added piece of information. That's bonkers that they've suspended her for being a diligent student. Well, there there is a, there is a little extra, she said, it still baffles me to this day. To be fair, one of the suspensions, detentions may have resulted from me using some choice language from one of said books towards a bully. But I think that's great. Like if you yeah. if if you stood up to a bully by quoting some literary work, yeah. like bravo. Wow, what wow, yeah. And what a what a weird impression I have of Linda's high school now, of like a place like the teachers threatened that someone might know too much like what a weird what a weird reason to get suspended that's that's what she finished with we had a lot of student teachers in our school district so I think there was a whole power dynamic situation going on like holy shit she's read the book already what do we do well you know what you do (laughs) give her another book yeah (laughs) she's really good at reading it's like going the AI is sentient like we have to kill the machines because the machines have become too smart like that's yes like (laughs) How bizarre. I mean, and you know, and Linda's going to get no shame from me because I, if I have a book that I love, I will read it again and again and again and again and again. Like Good Omens, I think I've read, I don't know how many times. And it's one of those books that I can just pick up and start reading from anywhere. Yes. Like, and um, yeah, where's the shame in that? No, there shouldn't be I any mean, shame. No. Nah. Yeah, you, you've picked the wrong two nerds. Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> You're not going to judge on cinema. 
Yeah, it's like going up to LeBron James and Michael Jordan and saying, hey, you know what, I think I watch too much basketball. No, nah, <laughs> you'll be right. <laughs> yeah, you're fine. You could stand to watch a little more. Yeah, I've just equated us to the, the equivalent of two of the greatest basketballers and that's where we are nerd-wise. But Which one are you? Are you LeBron or are you Jordan? I, look, I would like to be LeBron, but if if you don't feel very comfortable with that because Jordan is p- problematic, I'll I'll be Jordan. Oh no! We see this is you being a pushover. This is you uh, acquiescing. This is why you're getting charged two hundred dollars rent. That you should be getting charged because you just nicely went. Do you want to be the non problematic uh, basketball star? Yeah, but I like you. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's why I'm giving you the option. I just want you to know that my elderly mother will be alone for Christmas, <laughs> apart from her other 19 relatives in Christchurch. Just want you to know that. I'm so sorry. Uh, you know what? I'll transfer some money now <laughs> to, to sort this out. But uh, you know what that reminds me of? Do you, know, do you remember the Bill Hicks routine from, you know, decades ago where he's down in, I think he's down in the South and he's he's at a cafe with a novel or something and I'm paraphrasing this but someone walks in yep. and is like oh look out we got a reader <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if she was, Paul Linda was dealing with a little bit of that so I have something to share with you is that I've never reread a book really yeah isn't that fascinating this, this is yeah this is Almost as surprising a fact as you having gone to Adelaide's only gay bar with the village people and not mentioning that for 17 years of friendship. Um, I, that surprises me so much, Juzzy. It kind of surprises me as well. And it was not something I realised until maybe in the last 12 months. And like, as an example, Michael Chabon's The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay is my all-time favourite book. And really reignited my love of reading back in a I I went a couple of years I think it was really early on in stand-up when I was doing a lot of travel Uh and I was tired and going out all the time and that was the book that kind of reminded me hey remember how much you like words and stories and and I love that book like I love it and I've read it once wow you need to go and read it again I think I do um not that I should be recommending other people's podcasts on your podcast but that's fine there's a fucking amazing uh chat adam buxton so brilliant podcaster so adam buxton um has a chat to half of the rubber bandits so if you're not familiar with the rubber bandits um google uh horse outside and it's just this they're this brilliant um duo of irish comedians they're from limerick and they do really kind of aggressive sounding songs but the songs are already amazing like they're really um they've got this great uh song about um basically homophobia and it's called if you want to fuck a fella fuck a fella like it's just like this beautiful <laughs> they're just so I, yeah. i've shared a venue with them in edinburgh and i've watched their show and for the first 10 minutes i just hated it more than anything i'd ever seen and was found it just so confronting and um bizarre and then by the end of the show I was like well I would watch this again right now like they're just so wow great they're so great and so um Adam was talking to Blind Boy Boat Club who is half of the Rubber Bandits and part of their thing is they wear um they wear masks on their faces so but they're made out of old shopping bags so it's sort of like like a Tesco bag or something and it's been um 
they've shrunk it using a heat gun so it fits their faces like balaclavas and it's it's so bizarre so blind boy was talking about that about the reason he does that is because he doesn't want to be part of the spectacle so he talks about how um like if you are a really famous person and people know you as you then you're part of the spectacle so you know if you're brad pitt or whatever you get mobbed because you're part of the spectacle of fame but for him when he takes his mask off he's not even if someone knows that it's him it's not part of the spectacle because he's not wearing the mask and he's not in the kind of spectacle and he made this great analogy of like if you go to a um a panel and it's got all the simpsons actors who do all the voices even when they're talking you're still not really drawn in by it because the spectacle is the characters with the voices it's not the people behind the characters kind of thing so he had all these really great things to say and he was uh talking about like he went back and did a master's in art last year or something and just his whole what is the point of this this is me being 50 um he just yeah it's just really exciting to listen to and about um like realizing that a you know, a, a great comedian who's put who's every every um, joke is intentional. Like it's not just oh, he accidentally ended up here. It's like no, well, these are the things I want to say, and I'm um, saying them. And then he's got his own podcast, which is called I think Blind Boy Boat Club, and he reads his own short stories and then just sort of chats, and it's just so compelling and wonderful. Yeah, but if you listen to his Adam Buxton episode, I. Th- feel like you'll get a lot out of it like I I felt really energized and excited about comedy after listening to it oh that's good yeah I'm definitely up for that that sounds great by the way always good to recommend anything on this podcast it doesn't matter if it's another podcast I'm completely comfortable with that I think I did a I did a whole section a couple of months ago on you must remember this the Polly Platt series you know like anything that's good yeah so here's another one then Here's another podcast that I love. So very different. It's called How Did We Get Here? And it is a um, a psychologist doing a one-off session with a real person. And then the host of the podcast and she chat about it sort of afterwards. Or they like, might come in halfway through to go, can you explain that term? But the, um, the psychologist is Professor Tanya Byron, who I adore. She's an English woman. And she did a show called House of Tiny Tearaways years ago. <laughs> that was like kids with sort of behavior problems and she'd help the families out and stuff. And so now she's doing this podcast and. A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend, but what won't change needing health insurance, United healthcare, tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It is so, I, f- I feel like, um, I'm getting secondhand uh, warmth and empowerment from from other people's therapy. Like, so she'll talk to people about, you know, there's a um, 
a, a woman who had lost her sister to suicide and was struggling with that and then there's you know like marriage issues and um, all sorts of things and so some of the topics are quite sort of harrowing but the way she helps the person come to uh, a realization about themselves or what they're going through is just so gorgeous like it's, it's so weird but like she'll call them sweetheart and you know just say these wonderful wonderful things like insights that have gone oh, oh that's a really new way I'll just look at that thing now but it's really um warm and soothing and fascinating oh yeah that sounds great um it's so nice when someone says something to you that makes your head just tilt to one side and you think oh okay I'd never really thought about it that way I, I feel that way about uh just emotional growth and creative growth as well. Like yeah. I, you, you never, you never want to always be right about things. You want people to sort of say, "Have you thought about this?" And you think, "Oh no!" Like, yeah. As an example, I watched. Uh, I, I I had some Foxtel issues, and so I haven't been back to it. But I watched the first two episodes of Lovecraft Country, and there was a scene oh, yeah. where this African American family, I think it's the late. 50s. It's been a while since I watched it. They're driving down to the south, and instead of using soundtrack music to as an overlay, they used uh, James Baldwin's speech about what it means to be black, and that wow. was the soundtrack. And I, I don't know if I, I'd never seen that before. I'm not saying it hasn't been done before, but using speeches as the soundtrack really opened my eyes and you immediately think, oh, well, what other uh, speeches out there could I apply to any work that I do that could be interesting? And that, that's exciting when yeah, you have yeah. something new thrown your way. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it makes, yeah, it just makes you feel energised. I should let you go, but uh, what do you have coming up for the rest oh, of the year? You, are you starting to do live shows that people can see yes. in, in clubs or anything? Um, I'm doing one on the 25th at the Rooftop Bar and Transport in Melbourne. So it's a lineup show, but I think that's the first, my first gig back out there. Doing some shows coming up at the Comedy Republic. So if you go to Comedy Republic's webpage, um, that's Reese uh, Nicholson and Kyron Wheatley and Alex Dyson's venue. So I'm really excited about... Yeah, those poor guys were so close to... <gasps> opening and they've worked really hard on that venue so I'm glad that they're finally yeah. getting an opportunity to kick kick off because those guys are great. They are, they're just the best. Um, yeah. yeah, so that is exciting. Um, yeah, and just, I think that's it. I've really, I'm in this weird place of going, oh, I haven't, I haven't got anything come up, coming up, but things will turn up. Like, it feels like live gigs are starting to come back. Yes, it, it all happens very quickly. Like there's yeah. nothing like I've ended up with about I've got like four different projects that all have to be done in the next two and a half weeks, and right. there's there's a part of you that's like, wow, that's especially at this time of the year that that's a lot. But you take it, you're not complaining, yeah. and you're just gonna you just have to do it. But it's like, I think that's what's going to happen. So if you're prepared to yeah. know that you'll have nothing, and then you'll have everything. Yeah, it, and it's always been that way, you know, like even in these weird times beforehand, it was always like I'd have times where I'd go, oh, I've just got nothing in my diary. And then, oh, here it comes. Like, is that real? It sounds so wanky, but like trusting the universe that something will come up, but also you have to make it happen as well. And whereabouts can people find you online? 
Um, you can find me on Instagram, Calbo Wilson on Instagram. You can find me on Twitter at Calbo, C-A-L-B-O. Um, not there much. Not there much anymore. Um, Facebook, Cal Wilson. Um, you can find me whenever there is trouble. I'll be there. Yes. Whenever, you know. Just sorting stuff out. Yeah. That's great. All right. Uh, thank you very much, Cal. Let's speak again soon. All right. Goodbye. Our final guest today is Toby B. Hemingway, author and musician who has just released his latest novel, We Just Weren't Animal People. This is a wonderful collection of stories which you can purchase through his site at tbhemingway.com. That is Hemingway with one M. Let's bring Toby in and then I'll play his song Hummingbird at the end of our chat. It's always been one of my favourite songs of his and I know he's not really uh, creating music anymore, but rather than tell you what I think the book is about. You'll hear us chatting about it. I think that particular song captures the mood of his new book. All right, let's bring in Toby now. Now, I don't know if you realise this, but when I was reading your new work, it really lends itself to being read out loud. It's really quite lyrical. And there was just moments really early on where I picked up on the rhythm and then, you know, like an insane person who lives by himself, I just sat at my computer and was reading it out loud. And was that intentional or is that uh, like a, a byproduct that you didn't know existed? Yeah, no, it's interesting to hear that. I, I had no, I had no idea. Um, I, I had some experience with that just because um, I did a couple of uh, little videos for it for um, promotional purposes on Instagram and stuff. Um, and I read, I read passages for those and, um, I mean, because, sorry, I've got my kids here, so there might be a, um, what that, that TV, that news show incident at any time, uh, uh, the, um, I don't think about it, I guess, cause I was reading it and I thought, oh, that was quick. I got that done quickly, like doing the little, the recording. And then I'm just moved on to doing the editing. And I thought maybe that's just cause I'd written it and I'd read it a million times with editing and, and all that sort of stuff. So no, it, was, it certainly wasn't intentional. Um, but yeah, it's nice to know. Hopefully it's a good thing. Hopefully, yeah, yeah. I think it is. It was, it was very uh, specific. It was like, it wasn't, it didn't rhyme, but there were, moments where you like to use repetition and that's kind of what I think lent itself to being read out loud. Yeah. Maybe because I developed it um, sort of off the back of um, the Instagram stuff I was doing, which is really short um, because I do those pieces that are like one frame. Um, They're quite punchy I guess for lack of a better term and they have to be kind of rhythmic and they um and sometimes a bit repetitive I guess to make a point because sometimes they bridge a gap somewhere between narrative and um poetry almost so um maybe yeah maybe because I was developing a lot of that book off of um off of those little pieces that might have influenced and do you think maybe it's also because you're a singer-songwriter as well is it uh, a part of writing lyrics that just kind of lends itself to that shape i think uh, um obviously that experience you know 10 years or however long it was of doing that is you know always going to be inextricably linked to my development as a writer 
Um, and I think that when I started taking writing prose more seriously as opposed to just songs, that probably was one thing I was conscious of trying to carry over was maintaining a little bit of that lyricism in the writing. Um, I guess I feel like even if I don't have anything very interesting to say, if I can say it interestingly, you know, maybe that'll save the, the sentence or the, or the whole thing, you know? So I think that's one thing I was conscious of making that shift was, well, I know how to, I think I know how to make words relatively pretty for lack of a better term. So that's something I should, that's a strength I, I should probably try to lean on a little bit. I- I reckon that's a bit of a comedian thing as well. I, I think sometimes, you know, when you look at the written word and you think, I'm not really certain if that's funny, but it's uh, it's about the rhythm. And sometimes you just sort of say it in a way that it seems like a punchline and people go, oh, that's amazing. <laughs> well, you have you have the advantage in that. I mean, it's a disadvantage too because it's a lot of repetitive work, but at least you get to deliver it. You know, the hard thing when you just, it is on the written page is that that's how people are going to get right. it. And you have to you know, that's the challenge. Like, will they understand? You can't put emojis in. You can't, um, you know, you can't give an inflection speaking it. It's like, I guess you could put emojis in, but that's not the way I write. Um, but uh, it's a challenge, man. Like, yeah, making sure that that mood, I guess, is coming across. And, you know, you'll give things to people and they have a totally different impression of it than you did. It's not always, it's not always a bad thing, but um, it's interesting. As long as, you, as long as there's some impression, I guess. Yeah, well, I, I think yeah. you have achieved that. That's what I mean about as I was reading it. I think I've got, like, it was really early on as well. I think I was only about page three or four with your first story. Right. And I started thinking, wait a minute. And then I just started reading it out loud. So I think you, I think right. you really have nailed it. I think you have got that rhythm. Oh, thanks. And also, it's not particularly long. So I, you, you, you can, I had, the, I had the freedom of being a bit more punchy with it too. You know, like, you don't, you don't, um, I'm not having to explain any complicated concepts or plot situations, you know, where you can get buried in detail. Oh, yeah. It's, um, you know what I mean? So it's, um, it helps in that way too. But the whole looked, honestly, the, there wasn't much thought involved because the whole thing happened um, in, a, in, a, in a funny way. Like I, a bit like, you know, we, there's a lot of things about 2020 that none of us would have guessed would have happened. Um I wouldn't have guessed that the first thing I would decide to sort of publish independently since like my last record came out, whenever that was like 2010, 2011 would be personal sort of stories. Yeah. I would have, cause mostly I've done fiction and stuff. So I would have assumed it would have been something in fiction, but so it was all a bit of a roller coaster ride for me too. And it was only when it was sort of done that I realized, yes, this is something. Yeah. That's interesting. Did you have, so being in LA, you know, you've been in lockdown and kind of lockdown and then back in lockdown. And did you feel early on uh, a desire to create something? Cause that's kind of what happened here. I, and I don't know if it was because we were in the beginning of festivals uh, season, comedy festival season. Mm -hmm. And then when I went into lockdown, I kind of suppressed the urge to do anything for about three weeks because I just really wanted to create. But I feel like if I'd given into those compulsions, 
I would have done something awful like, it's the quarantine cast, you know, and then you're stuck with an idea yeah. that you don't really want to do in the fourth week. I was very conscious, first off, of not of not doing yeah. that, of, of not trying to, particularly here, not just because of what we've been through, but also because I'm in Hollywood, there is this, I'm not in Hollywood, but Figuratively you speaking. are Hollywood. Um, yeah, I am Hollywood. Um, there is this. There is this idea that you're going to capitalize on this. Right. It's a very American idea. Like it stretches from senators buying shares in PPE before anybody knows there's a pandemic to um, you know grocery stores changing their business model to creative people being like, okay, this is the market how do I capitalize on it? You know? And that was not my state of mind. It never is to a fault. And, um, but I, I think what happened was I, so I had my retail store until February before any of this was real, the sort of pandemic effect. And um, I, I closed it thinking I want to focus on writing and being creative and, and see what other work comes along. But I just need a minute after nearly 10 years of doing this retail thing to reset and, um, and get my head together and, 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 and see what's next. And then within weeks of me closing the store up and sort of handing the keys back and getting through all that, we all got, we all got put on lockdown. And then within the first few weeks of that, it became pretty obvious this was going to be a long haul. So then it was sort of, okay, I'm not going to get some job. Like I'm not going to go find, I was thinking, I was talking to a couple of brands and stuff. I'd work with like, maybe I can do a bit of work for them whilst I'm writing. And I was like, well, that's not going to happen because everybody's upside down. So I better just be productive. Yeah. So I, one thing I can do without anyone's permission or without anyone. Yeah. Having to help me is sit down and write yeah. things. So I just was more committed to, okay, now you've really got to write a lot because You've got no excuse. Yeah. Um, really, that was my point of view. So it wasn't so much. But then I, then I found it kind of difficult, and I still find it kind of difficult because we're not having the same experiences that we would normally have. You know, maybe that's why in this piece I go so back into the past because often I'm writing based on things that are, that are happening to me, and nothing's really happening. That was like the Zoom catch-ups with family and friends. You know, we're going to do it every week. We're going to stay in yeah. touch, and then you catch up the next week. What have you done? Fuck all. <laughs> yeah, nothing. I have nothing to talk to you about. I'm just as bored as you. So um, it, it's not yet. And, and, and further to that, like normally we're having different experiences, right? So if we do a Zoom catch up, I'm doing it from LA to Melbourne or whatever. We're all having different experiences. It's a different season. There's different, but we're all sitting there like, no, nah, yeah, yeah, same. Yeah. yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, same. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just horrible. So for me, I guess, yeah, this but what began with the earlier on was just focusing on doing those Instagram stories and then developing this collaboration thing I've been doing on there. And then also just writing a ton of short stories. And yeah. Stuff. It's a, uh, it's fascinating. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious to know, did you come up with the animal motif or did you just start writing and then suddenly realize, Oh, all these short stories seem to be revolving around my family and their encounters or relationships with different types of animals. I'd done a, I'd done a few of those Instagram yeah. ones um, when I realized 
just how many of these sort of it, it had been dawning on me for a while and like as you know i have a novel finished that also kind of in it's not it doesn't lean on animals but it's in a wild place so there's animals and stuff so i know it's an interest of mine um how i've long known it's an interest of mine how animals and humans um interact and what and what we what we learn from each other um but the specific sort of family angle of it was something that after i'd written a few and i liked them and other people liked them you know some more than others i i realized I think there's something here. I don't know what it is, but there's something here. So then it was a process of just writing every single anecdote I could think of that, I, that, that mattered to me. There's some that aren't there obviously, but the, the ones that I thought were sort of germane in some way. And then, um, and then sometimes there'd be some connecting thread, but really it was then just getting done with it and thinking that's all the ones that I think are worth talking about and then going and rearranging it right. and figuring out how do I make this actually work? So the motif was there, but at one point I thought it might be broken up into different like species or, or, or like kinds of interactions. And then in the end, it sort of, you know, takes this, takes its own form about where it puts me now, I guess, you know? Um, but that was, that was the, that was the, the sort of the lifting was figuring that out. Do you have any writing influences? Because there was parts of the writing that reminded me a little bit specifically of certain chapters of No Country for Old Men. And I don't know if you've ever read that, but there's uh, parts of it that Cormac McCarthy writes that are in first person from a specific character's point of view. And yeah, it's interesting. You have a, once again, there is a lyricism and also... What I really like about your writing is there's no extraneous words. Like there's nothing there to, yeah. I, you know, I'm sure I'm uh, guilty of this as well. Sometimes you just go, I'm just going to drop in a word to impress you. <laughs> and, and there's nothing like that. And so I was wondering if there were any authors that you kind of look towards or that you admire that may have influenced your writing. I've certainly always been, like in terms of that sort of style, and that choice I've certainly always I'm not a big vocab guy I don't I don't like to throw big words around in, in conversation nor do I I can't even finish the word vocabulary <laughs> um I just say vocab. uh so I, <laughs> I'm certainly more interested in the right word rather than the best right. word you know so and also I think there's a real strength in using words that most people know just in the right place because I don't want people reaching for a dictionary while they're reading what I write. I just, it's just not the kind of writer I am. Um, I want it to be a little more approachable and maybe even conversational to a certain degree than that. So that, so that it, it, so that you're not being lectured to or, or, or taught, you know, you just, I just want people to have their own feelings. And in that sense, I want them to recognize the words. Um, And that presented a bit of a challenge in terms of the Australian American thing, because I, I think I kind of kept in my mind that I'm speaking to an American because I think because I think Australians know everything about American language and culture, but Americans don't know everything about Australian language and yeah. culture. So it's better to err on that that side, like you're speaking to an American. Um, but in terms of writers, I mean, I don't know. Like the oddly enough, when I when I went to when I went to writing school. 
um, like in, you know, in, in university, um, I my mother started giving me all of Ernest Hemingway's books. She's like, people are going to ask you about him, and and uh, it's 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 part of the family, even though we don't know if we're, we're probably not related by the looks of it, but from what people have told me. But she's like, so you should just know the work. So I had a real burst of his stuff early, and I remember that my teacher I had a great teacher in my first year writing. Uh, school and and she had given us one of his stories um hills like white elephants which is a really beautiful sad story and i was immediately struck i guess by by that and by mum plowing me with his stuff that the about the simplicity thing and about the less is more and, and and all that sort of thing and then and then really i'm probably when it comes to that sort of more animally interaction pastoral thing it's probably steinbeck who influenced me the most um, and he just, when I was young, he just had a really good sort of way of writing about men that was sort of sad and, uh, tragic <laughs> and, and real, you know, and maybe living in California affects that as well. Um, but he, he's really someone. And then in terms of once I started doing this sort of thing where it's more personal, um, you can't escape people like Dave Sedaris, you know, cause everybody likes a good Dave Sedaris story. I mean, he's so good at, um, at, 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 he's, he's really good at doing that funny touching thing as well. And I think my writing leans much heavier, more heavily on the sort of poignant sad side than, than, than David's maybe. Um, but there's, when you, for me, particularly like growing up in, in the kind of strange family that I did, humour was the only way I could survive. And, and, and a lot of the way these stories are written is kind of like I would retell them to people in my family because these, these painful things would come up and I'd have to just, uh, it still happens to me, it happened to me over Thanksgiving with my brother, I have to just tell the story to sort of, so we could all look at each other and go, yeah, that happened and laugh about it so that we know we're not crazy because so many of these things happen in your family and you, and you just, you don't remember if that really happened. It, and with this animal stuff, particularly, I just, I sit there a lot and think did that really happened. Like, did my mum really put guinea pigs in an oven? Like, and it's true. Like I checked with her some years ago and my wife will be like, Oh, I remember that story. Oh, God, thank God you didn't linger on that. I'm like, no, there's no, there's no need to. So, but it's funny, right? Like, and so I guess it's just trying to let it be funny in that way that um, I know it is because it's the only way to cope. In one of your stories with the, uh, it's actually the opening story about fishing, which by the way, I've never gone fishing, yeah. but that story, uh, the, the way you wrote it, it felt quite dreamlike when I was reading it. And it, it right. felt like I was, I was very much ensconced in your memory while you were telling that story. But I did think uh, an alternate title for your book could have been Pliers and Whiskey. <laughs> oh, yeah, that one. Yeah, when my dad got the hook in his head. Yeah, that was – I because I, I did all this myself and I, I wasn't going through like a strict editing process and everything. That's one of the reasons I kept it short and did it myself um, rather than – releasing short stories or something, which I feel like you kind of need an editor to, to work with you and make sure that it's all coming together. 
um, I, I had my sister-in-law um, read through it. A couple of people read through it for me. She was one of them just to catch any typos and, and confusing sentences or anything like that. And, uh, and that was one of the stories she said to my brother, her husband, you know, did that really, did that really happen? Did you really do that? To your dad? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, the, the dreamlike thing is, it's good, I guess, because that's kind of how memories feel. Yeah. And in terms of writers, I'm also a fan of people like Roberto Bolaño, who's like a sort of modern magic realist, I guess. I'm not a huge magic realist person. And Murakami as well. These guys who can, who can really take you into an area where you, you're not 100% sure um, that you can rely on what's happening. Yes. Um, I think that the, I think that the, some of the details like the pliers and the, and the, and the whiskey and the fish hook are so um, brutal that a little bit of that sort of leaving out details and dreaminess is probably a good thing to help the, help the reader through the ride. You don't want to punish people. No, not at all. But that's, that's kind of why it really sticks out because it is this kind of languid tale and it almost reads like a, a, a Polaroid picture that you've, had for a long time and it's slightly faded and then next minute yeah. there's a hook in your dad's head and it's like yeah. shit uh, and i think that makes it uh jump a little bit more in the story that's how it happens though right because sometimes i find myself i'm involved in a situation and it gets weird quick and i'm thinking oh this is happening right now like this person is doing this thing right now or they've just said that thing to me i can't believe they said that like you know, maybe you'll be, you'll be chatting with like a tradesman about something, and then they'll and then they'll drop some racist comment. You'll be like, oh, oh, here we are. Now I've got to change the whole conversation. I got, I'm not going to sleep well. I got to think about giving this guy money. And, you know, like that can happen. Sometimes you, you know? beat yourself up because you didn't react properly in the moment, but it's because it came from yep. so left field. Because. Yep because you don't hang out with people who speak like that on a regular basis, when it does happen, it's like, Oh, that's right. You're out there. You, you people exist. Yeah. And you've got to train yourself to, to be ready. It's a bit like, I mean, I find it with good. I don't know if you find this too, but I find it with good news too. You know, like someone can tell me that they're having a baby or they're getting married or something. And I think later, maybe I, maybe I wasn't excited (laughs) enough. Like, even when even when my wife told me that we were having our children, um, one and two, you know, I was a bit, I was just a bit dumbstruck. And I and then and then later she's like, oh, I think you, I don't know what was wrong with you when I told you that. And I was like, oh, it's just, I wasn't ready for that. Like I was just sitting on the couch, came <laughs> along and told me that. And do you know what I mean? Like those things, it happens with good things too. You sort of, life's going along, and then boom, yeah. oh, you don't understand. I was a guy on the lounge two minutes ago and now I'm, I'm I'm about to be a dad I remember that moment and I remember being in the couch in the next room and um and, and it was father's day and being told that um we were having our first child I did not know what to say I was petrified yeah you know and and again the game just changed like that so you're just like ah oh, I, 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 I feel like that's the correct response I think so too I think and, and being me it's the correct response I think if I jumped up and you know, started bawling and cheering. Yeah, she would have been like, oh, oh no. As it turns out, he's <laughs> I'm pregnant and my husband's now having a nervous breakdown. This is too yeah, much yeah. for me to deal with. <laughs> Yeah, no, that, that comes later. That comes once you have Yeah, it. of course. Well, it's interesting, uh, you know, you, you talk about in the in the book about your kids uh, wanting 
to have pets and it's interesting that one of the uh, stories about Tipsy which is really quite a moving tale and I, I, I found it really fascinating you touched on something you know when you haven't really cognizantly thought of something and then someone says it and you go oh yeah no I understand that and that's the idea of being away from home when the family pet dies and that disconnect from it and I agreed with what you wrote which is it's actually not better being away from home and and you know you poor tipsy's gone and that is yeah a real disconnection I had that with a with my first uh, pet as well who you know one minute was there and then then gone and it's hard to wrap your head around it for a long time yeah where were you I was at school uh our um our chihuahua was attacked by a great dane so it was a really vicious death and then after the vet and gone, gone right yeah like probably died in the moment so i left the house and by the way this will be weird my first pet was called toby so <laughs> <laughs> a lot of dogs are justin's real problem <laughs> and then went to school and then came home and you know mum's not going to mince words she just kind of told me how it happened and that was that was devastating for a long time same with my mum. Like it was, it's, it's, it was pretty direct as I put it in the book. I got in the car and it's like, oh yeah, the dog died. Um, and then I'm like, well, how, like, what happened? Like I want, I want details. Yeah. And then, you know, you start to get the details and it's like, gosh, I, at first, of course, you know, self-protectiveness is a real thing. So you think, well, I'm glad I wasn't around. But then later on you think, oh God, I wish I had been around. I wish I had been able to sort of pat the dirt on the top of the grave and, you know, spit, whatever you do in, in Australian culture when something dies. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think that was the interesting thing um, about about writing these things down that feel, they just feel like any other memory to a certain degree from, from your life. And you don't, and it's hard to, it's hard to know which ones matter and which ones don't, but I guess the ones that stick around must matter for some reason. So it was interesting to write them all down and then even, yeah, having my wife read it, who again was one of the first people who read it for me when it was in rough form, um, she sort of said, wow, I hadn't, you know, we, we should get the kids an animal. Like I hadn't thought about how all those experiences affect you and 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 teach you about yourself. And, you know, so there, yeah, there, there, there's a hamster on the, on the list at the moment for Christmas, which will be a big deal because right now it's been a goldfish for a long time, uh, Bob, and he's hung in there. Uh, but they want more. They want fur. They want legs. <laughs> they want something they can touch. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, and feed directly. You know, it teaches them responsibility as well. It's uh, there's uh, all those things. It's like I feel like two of the most important things for kids, not being a parent, of course, but uh, for them to kind of learn skills older. But you were a kid a long time ago. Having a pet teaches you responsibility, and I think playing sport teaches you a lot of things about yeah. winning with grace, losing with honor, you know, all that kind of stuff, camaraderie. Yeah, I can I can tell you that being a parent, it reminds you to teach them about responsibility. It's a nice idea that the animal will teach them responsibility, but actually it reminds me to teach them responsibility because I have to tell my son to feed the fish every day, twice a day. So, yeah, hopefully he's learning from me. Yeah, repetition, right? <laughs> Uh, yeah, but but not from the fish. If only the fish could remind him, um, that would be fantastic. 
see how the hamster yeah, right. How's he going? Because like, the last bit of contact we had was around the election and there was, mm-hmm. you know, uh, he, Willie is six now. Is that right? Uh, yeah, he's six. He's seven in February. He's cognizant of the world. And he, and you know, you were saying there was this real kind of trick and uh, to kind of teach him that's all happening and it appears to be rewarded, but that's incorrect. And He was possibly the most excited person in the family when, when, when they announced that Biden won. Um, uh, he, he made a sign immediately. Uh, he was, you know, we went, we went for a drive to take his sister to a dance class and um, outdoor, social distanced <laughs> dance class. Horrible concept. Anyway, um, he was, you know, we went out, we, we, we were driving down Sunset Boulevard and there's people screaming and honking their horns and waving things out of their car and he was just loving it. Um, so that was good. And, you know, yeah, that morning was the morning that, you know, the, the networks announced it. And, um, I mean, a lot of people have seen Van Jones on CNN speaking about being a parent at that moment. And um, we were actually watching the television when he when he spoke and... Um, I can't really put it any better than he did. So people can go and find that clip of Van Jones speaking on that, on that. And um, that just, it was much easier to be a parent that, you know, from that day was, was the, was the basic thing because yeah, man, I mean, the questions come up, he's old enough, you know, like, well, why, you know, why, why is that happening? He's a bad person. And it just, it's hard to answer that. You know, so it's better now. It's it's better, thanks. Better for everybody, including yeah. little ones. You know? And and how does he feel about Australia and his lineage there? Is it a bit of an abstract idea? I know he's been here, but does he feel a connection at all, or is it just something that's more dad's thing? It's still pretty abstract. Um, if pressed, he would say he's half Australian, I guess. But it's pretty abstract. Um, he. He's he's curious about yeah. it. He finds all the stories and stuff fascinating, and and he likes going there and seeing his cousins. But it's really about things like that for him. It's about his cousins. It's about his grandma, um, and he 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 he's vaguely interested in fo- Australian football because of me, but he doesn't really care that much um, because his his friends don't you know don't don't know it. So um, yeah, no, he's not he's not he, his accent has gotten worse. I would say. <laughs> He, at one point there when he was a baby and he, you know, the words were still forming, he could do a pretty good impression of me, but it's it, not that It's great. gone. It's gone. Yeah, he gets the occasional thing right, but his Spanish accent is a lot better than his Australian accent. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm curious also, the which of the stories that the Americans' uh, friends remark on the most? Because I was, I was wondering if it was the cane toads because I feel like that might be a fairly abstract idea. Because when I was reading about it, it was like, oh, yeah. Like, it's something that I've been so used to. And then reading about it, it was like, that's an insane story. Isn't it weird? I, You know, not enough Americans have read it yet because of, um, like, I've only just released it. So I'm waiting to get that feedback. And I, I think I'll get a lot of flack about the dog stuff. Um, but I'm used to that. Um, but uh the the cane toads i mean even for me again that's one of those memories where you're like oh yeah that goes on in queensland like those things are up there and and they're just part of the fabric now and but i mean every every 
every country has that, but that's just one of those, yeah, ones that I'll be interested to see how people take that because it is a uniquely Australian thing. And again, we were very cruel to them. So, um, you know, that won't go down particularly well either. I'm, I'm out on a limb a little bit in America with some of the stuff in this book, uh, Justin, but hopefully I bring it all back around. Well, there's you know? also the wombat story. Like that'll win you some, uh, that was my, that was, that was one of my defining moments in terms of yes, having a heart. So, uh, yeah, but I think, look, if it's, if it's not cane toads, it's armadillos or something like Americans have their own stories from being jerks when they were kids. Yeah, absolutely. And the wombat story was, yeah. it was a little bit like while I was reading it, like, come on, Toby. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know while it was happening, I was a bit, come on, Toby. What are you, what are you doing? Um, but I let the, let the poor guy go. Thank God. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to live with myself if I, if I like I said, I think in the, in the piece, I mean, I don't, I, I, I do a lot of, done a lot of stupid shit in my life, but yeah, that one would, no. that one would have stuck. No, that's me. a defining moment. You got to feel good about that. Well, maybe I would have erased it if I'd done the wrong thing. But, uh, <laughs> the book would be a bit shorter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, I won't keep yeah. you for too much longer, yeah. but have, have you had an urge to uh, get back to creating music at all? Cause I was listening to uh, horse stories uh, during the week in preparation for reading this. And it's such a beautiful album and Hummingbird's such a beautiful song. And uh, it oh, would be, um, be nice to hear. If you were into making anything new, I'd be up for it. You know, I just, I just, um, I just found something that I wasn't sure if I still had, which is the, which is the demos I'd done for a record like 15 years ago. And I remembered that the demos were very different to what the record wound up being just because of the way it was made. Um, I was on my own in London when I wrote the songs and made the demos. And then I came to San Diego to record it with um, some musicians here. So it was very different. And um, so I was really curious. I could think, God, I haven't heard those demos since like we were making the record. I wonder if I still have them and I found them. And um, it was really interesting listening to them to sort of get my head in that process again. And every now and then something like that will happen or someone will mention a song or I'll be playing the guitar or, or I do a thing with my brother out in the desert once a year. We have a house out there and we do a party, which I've spoken to you about because we'd love you to come and uh, tell some jokes when everyone can yeah. fly again. Um, and we do, we do a little gig and I put a cover band together. And, and so listening to those songs today is kind of like, oh, yeah, that's interesting. I wonder if I could still do that. And then I think about, oh, God, no, nah. that's just, I can't do that right. anymore. It, for one, I don't, I don't, I don't write like that really anymore. Um, it's a different kind of writing. It's it takes a lot of practice to do it well. I think I don't think it really just comes back. And every time we do like that um, that gig in the desert, I'm reminded what a complete pain in the ass it is to be a musician. The gear and the organising people and the rehearsing. And the learning, it's just, I don't, I don't really have the energy for it anymore. It's all very well if you're established and you have roadies and, and, and you, everything just is on wheels. But when you're just a punter like me, it's like, oh, God, the thought of turning up at a club, you know, I mean, it must get hard as a comedian too, right? Oh, so, you know, I started off in a duo and we had a guitar and, like, going from duo to solo was like, what do you mean I don't have to worry about another mic stand or another mic or a DI or have to get there before yep. everyone else and do a sound check with a techie who 
can't be fucked because you're a pain in the ass yep. and all them showing all up. Them showing up, yeah. Because that happens too. Well, where's so and so? Oh, I don't know, man. He's in yeah. traffic. But like, and the and the sound guys, yeah. how am I? I was trying to explain this to my son the other day. For some reason, it came up something about sound guys come up. Probably because I'm scarred for life <laughs> by sound guys and um, just not dealing with them. You know, he's like, well, what sort of things would they say to you? And I said, um, well, let me think. A classic was. That's as loud as it gets. The last guy sang a lot louder than you. That was that was one I heard a couple of times. Uh, I, don't, I was trying to explain to him why it's such a pain and why they're such miserable people. Um, but yeah, so I don't um, I don't have any plans to do that um, because um, it just all sounds like so much work and. Maybe I'm just tired because it's 2020 and I have two little children. No, that makes complete sense to me. We did a show that was streamed online last night and the techie there was in my face about how things were going to work, etc. And I'm like, this isn't my first rodeo. Like, I know how this is going to work. This is going to be fine. He'd given me a very Mm -hmm. specific mic. Don't put it down. Really lectured me. The woman who was running it behind the scenes just kept coming up. Have you got the mic? Have you turned it on? Have you got the mic? Have you got it turned on? Yep, we're all good to go. And then the show starts and I have to introduce myself and I'm talking into the mic and the mic's not working. And it's that. And you know what annoys me is he could have at least come up and said, hey, man, sorry. (laughs) You know, and I would have been completely fine. I would have gone, oh, well, you were trying to get things done and maybe you were a bit stressed, but it's just like there's this blank kind of approach to it where it's like that oh. that was your fault. That was your mistake. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm the other thing too is I just remember in music, it's I think in comedy, like you're going to find out if people can't hear you pretty quickly, right? In music, you got no idea. Like people could be getting none of an instrument and you'd have no idea. And you, because no, no one's really going to go, oh, you need to turn the bass up. You know, I can't hear the bass. People are like, oh, I guess they like to have the bass player but not hear him. And so you're, you're like, you're up there thinking when you've had this awkward encounter with the sound guy at Soundcheck, you're up there thinking the whole time, like, oh, I wonder, if I, I wonder how this sounds. It probably sounds terrible. I'm sure it sounds terrible. And that's just such a horrible feeling to be we, we've all We've all seen the, you know, someone really going for it on stage and <laughs> that's the one person you can't hear and it is... Hard work to watch that happen. <laughs> I remember, it's funny you should mention that. I remember one time watching a Channel 10 had some chat show in the late 90s. Maybe the DGEN people were involved. And Australia is not known for its chat shows. It was a, it was a, it was a real foray and out into something new. And Ben Lee was on at the, at, at the height of his Ben Leeness. And he was playing a song for them at the desk in a chair on his own but halfway through the song he decided to go a bit punk rock and jump up onto the desk and bust out this random like acoustic solo just for a bit of fun well he didn't wrap his mic cord around his strap which every every pub musician knows you need to do it maybe someone was handing him the guitar and so it wasn't done and it just popped straight out the minute he jumped on the desk and he's going into this whole thing and you could not hear a thing that would have been the panel it must have been that must have been it, yeah. Well, I'll be looking for that on YouTube. That sounds like <laughs> Yeah, look for that on YouTube. I remember, there. I remember just watching it. Oh my god. It's happened. I felt so oh, bad yeah. for him because it was going for it. You know, like full Eddie Van Halen RIP, just going for it and nothing. 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 And uh and before you go, uh 
what, have you been consuming anything? Have you been listening to anything in particular or watching anything? Or have you been too busy with uh, writing? And My wife talked me into watching The Undoing. I'll never get that six hours of my life back. You weren't into Nicole Kidman singing the credits? Is that what's happening? That's the one with Hugh Grant. Yeah. Yeah, I did not yeah, know that. Nicole. Oh, thank God I didn't know that. I might have been, I might be divorced if I'd known that. I... <laughs> did Jess love it? I don't think she loved it. It was something to do. We're both very tired and she's been very busy. So it was something to do. But the thing that, the thing that really bothers me about it is that Nicole Kidman's had so much done that she can't emote anymore. So it's like a hostage situation. She's like using her eyes to like, let you know something because all this is shut down. That's why she was so great in the first season of big little lies. Well, that was the, that was the character, right? It was perfect. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't watch that. Um, I have, I, do you know what, Hamo, you'll appreciate this. I'm into The Mandalorian. Yes. I'd given up on Star Wars. So had I. Completely. I didn't watch the last one because that second last one, I went to the cinema and it, I wasn't angry. That would be too much. But I was a bit like, oh, you know what? It's not for me anymore. Like, it, it's not for me anymore. It's for kids. Good. Enjoy it, kids. I'll move on. And uh, and then and then this people kept telling me about the Mandalorian and uh, and then we bought the Disney Plus thing because my wife kept buying all the Disney movies for the kids. I was like, we just got to get that thing. So we got that thing, and then um, I started. I was like, I got to watch the Mandalorian now. And it's bloody good. I had exactly the same journey with Star Wars. Saw the Last yeah. Jedi. Just went. You know, in all honesty, I probably liked two and a half of the movies or three of the movies, if I'm yeah. being really honest. And I, I did go and see the last one just for a completer's sake, but it was a bit, it was fascinating. Yeah. My friend and I went and saw it and uh, an, hour, an hour after the movie, we were having lunch and we were chatting about things. I said, it's interesting. We have not mentioned the movie once. And then, <laughs> and then the, I, saw the, I saw The Mandalorian was coming out and I was like, oh, I'm so glad I'm out on this. So that's something I don't have to worry about. I saw the Baby Yoda memes. And I was like, oh, that looks oh, bullshit. Man. Look at that fucking cashing in rubbish. And then I watched the first episode and that little puppet stole my heart. <laughs> oh, isn't it great? Uh, I, <laughs> so I'm into that. I'm not, I'm not completely caught up. Um, and then the other thing I got into most recently was um, the uh, uh, another random thing. My brother told me about this, the, um, the, the Amazon Tottenham Hotspurs documentary series. A friend of mine's watching that. I do not follow English Premier League soccer, no. but I do like sport. And now I have to know what's happening with Tottenham because I watched this whole season. It goes complete all access. It was fantastic. It was really good. Everyone's into sports. It's it's really yeah. Good. It's I can kind of watch any sports documentary, even uh, if it's good. If it's you know, because yeah. you kind of get the basics of it. Were you happy with the Lakers win in the bubble? Oh, I was thrilled. That was um, I had a lot of things coming together on that one. Um, my friend George, um, is a huge LeBron fan. LeBron got him into basketball, which can be really tedious because all he cares about is LeBron. I don't think he really cares about basketball. Um. And he followed LeBron around and LeBron came to LA and it was like, Oh, we can follow the same team. And, um, and, and then, and then to have them all and get AD and fantastic. And that was so exciting and to see. There's so many good stories in that, like um, Dwight coming back and having such a great season. And, um, you know, Rondo playing for us was really oh, weird. It was, it was tough. Like I was wrapped, but I have a long time ingrained in me of not liking Rondo and he was great. 
Yeah, me too. Me too. And then, and then, so, and then my, and then we were watching the series, obviously, and we, we were going outside to people's houses and watching it. And then we were all hoping they were going to win on that um, fifth game. And it was a Friday night, I think. And they lost. And I remember thinking, well, the next game was Sunday afternoon. So at least my son really can watch it with us, you know, because it'll be before his bedtime. So we did that. We ran at my brother's place and Willie was there and, um, and we all watched the game they won for the championship. So now he's hooked. That's the way to get him. So that was nice because he didn't really understand. He, he knew who LeBron was. He knew the Lakers. And now he's got the pennant. He's got the T-shirt. Just, he's, he's all about the Lakers. And, and I knew we were going to win after that loss in game five because I thought Miami played really well. I thought they played a really yeah. good style of basketball. And I thought Jimmy Butler, who I've never really been a fan of, suddenly ends up in a, a context that I get. I kind of get him now. And he played so well yeah. in that game five. But there was a shot of him on the side looking exhausted. And then I'm looking at 35-year-old yeah. LeBron uh, who looks like he's ready to play another seven-game series after this one. And I was like, oh, w- we've got game six. Yeah, well, I only realised in that um, in that game that Butler plays like 42 minutes or something. And he, yeah, I remember there's a picture of that. He's at the end of the court, just out of breath. On the, on the padding, out of breath, which you never see. And he's defending uh, LeBron as well. Like, he's... Oh, he's doing everything. He was great. But, um, yeah, and then LeBron, you're right, like... I just watched this video yesterday, I think, about how LeBron's changed his game to, in order to stay yeah. in games. And um, very good, Hammer. I don't know if you've watched it. I think it's the. Oh, yeah. Video. No, I've seen that one. Yeah, it's great. It's. Uh, yeah. And I, I just think he's such a. He, it's been a really interesting journey with him as a kid coming in with, you know, like he had. Like, I was always. In that uh, era, I was more of a Dwayne Wade fan because Dwayne Wade came in with no fanfare and he comes in with the king on his back. And there was all those years of struggle and then the... He was very unlikable. Yeah, but you know what's been nice is we've we've watched him grow up, which is one of the things that I struggle with sometimes with Australian athletes who seem to come in at this and then they just remain that for the rest of their lives. Whereas LeBron came in and had his ups and downs. When you look back on it, he was never awful, but he was hard to like. And we've watched him grow and mature, yeah. and now he's an elder statesman. And the way he carries himself politically, and uh, I, I think he's impressive. Yeah, I think that was that was that was that was a big deal for me this year because I think when he did his school, and I was a bit like LeBron. You know what? If you just paid all that in taxes, uh, you probably would have helped a lot more kids. Now you've just built another private school. Congratulations. Um, but then with this Black Lives Matter, he really started to look at okay, what am I doing and why. And you know when they when they quit, and then he did the thing with where they got the, the arenas to open up as voting centers. That was a big deal. Like he actually did some things with his power, and that was great. Like you say, he's maturing, and maybe because I'm a writer, I think about this stuff. But you know, when we lost Kobe too earlier in the year, there's not that many sports figures in the world who have those kinds of stories, and and to be able to witness it, especially in your the team you follow, is something you've really got to hang on to and try to enjoy because it's really unusual. The thing I think about with Kobe is, you know, people love to talk about, well, I'm just going to take this on and work so hard and get it done and back to the wall. and I'm going to come back. And like I heard a guy on the radio talking about how he had a picture of Kobe in his house that he'd walk past every day to remind him, you've got to always give it your best mama mentality. I was like, yeah, we all talk that way, but most of us do not live that life. So to watch someone live that life, 
like get beaten by Boston in 08, come back in 09, win a championship. 10, you play Boston. You finally get a chance for revenge against Boston and you do it because you're such a great sports. No one lives that life. And then very rarely do you get to support someone in your team who's like that and just have that story. And Kobe too, like weirdo, bad bloke, tryhard rap star, turns into this like hero of women's sports, thinker, like fascinating stories, right? I mean, you just, you don't, that, that, that's, that's what gets me into those people in sport is those yeah, stories. Yeah, definitely. And watching it play out on such a big stage. You, you're right though. Lots of people do like to say those things that, that they're hashtags on their Instagram, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, mumba mentality, you know, hashtag blessed, hashtag going for it. And it's like, if you, you probably did half as many hashtags, you probably would have achieved more in the day. <laughs> yeah. We're just not, we're just not built like that. Most of us. So it's fascinating to watch those people, you know? Um, and anyway, yeah, I wish there was a little more of it in Australian sport. I mean, yeah. I find that can be, like you say, there's not a lot, I don't see a lot of growth. I think we take great pride in making sure our athletes come in as this person and stay as that person. <laughs> You're right. There is, there is a, there is a very, it's the, it's the thing I, it's the thing I talk about, like sometimes with famous people when they just hang out with people they went to high school with, they're very proud of that. They feel like it keeps them grounded and I've been around those people and they act like they're in high school. They, they will, they will hang. If you're, if you're at a party or something and they're, and their friends from high school are there, they just hang out with their friends from high school. They don't come and talk to you, mingle. And what I realized at some point, cause I've sort of drifted in and out of these things living in Los Angeles is that that is not the goal. The goal is to change. The goal is not to n- not change. Still have your friends from high school, but get other ones because that's life changing and you growing. And I think, Particularly in Australia, there is that thing of, like, oh, no, he's still the same old bloke. So, you know what? I don't want the same old bloke. I'd be devastated if I was the, the same old bloke. <laughs> <laughs> Give me the new version of that bloke. So, it's a problem. Maybe you can work yeah, on it. Yeah, I'll see what I can do from the inside. So, well, thank you for having a chat with me. Next time, I'm, I'm going to have the camera turned off on the Zoom because your hair just is so good and it's fucking depressing. You have really good hair. You it kills me. I know. I'm obsessed with it. Like yeah. you can do, you can do whatever well, you want with your hair. I can literally have tidy, or I can look like a crazy Spanish director. <laughs> when I was a when I was a kid, it was the opposite. When you when you grow up with curly hair, there is nothing you can do with it. You grow up in the '80s with curly hair, you can't have a flat top. <laughs> you can't have a. Fringe. It was a fucking nightmare. So, you know, this is my time, Justin. Stop taking it from you. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Toby. That was great. All right. Thanks, mate. We all need someone there when we break And we all leave some things in our
forget to call him Will you see that hummingbird Hanging on every word I don't say Big thank you to Eliza Scanlon, Cal Wilson and Toby B. Hemingway for joining me today. Remember to head to T.B. Hemingway, that is Hemingway with one M, so you can buy his novel. Uh, you can just get it right there. And the novel's called We Just Weren't Animal People. Also, please go and hunt down Baby Teeth. It is such a beautiful and wonderful Australian movie. And I'd love to not only have you watch it, I'd love to know what you think too. Uh, If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe and leave us a nice review on Apple Podcasts. And remember that our live Christmas show, Big Squid Fomus, is this Sunday, the 13th of December, and you can find details to see us live or online at giantdwarf.com.au. Once this eye clears up, once this uveitis just fucks off, I'll get back to our Facebook page and uh, especially our private page where we have lots of nice conversations and back and forths going on and I will get to your messages and emails. Uh, Lots of apologies. It has taken me so long to get back there. Let's finish with a quote from Ben Mendelsohn. In Australia, even the darkest subject matter has a little pinch of humour, a little sweet to make the sour go down. Amen to that, Mendo. Until then...
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.